0: Welcome to the GUT Podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK, and in my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month we are discussing the September 2016 Editor's Choice Manuscript entitled Asia-Pacific Consensus on the Management of Gastroesophageal Reflux Disease, an update focusing on refractory reflux disease and Barrett's esophagus. I'm delighted to be joined today by the first author of the manuscript, Professor Falk from Changi General Hospital in Singapore. He's also a clinical professor at the National University of Singapore. and He's taken part today as a representative of his co-author contributors to the consensus. And the author list within this consensus group represents many countries in the Asia-Pacific region. So welcome to the podcast today. This paper represents an update to the consensus published in 2008. So let's first talk about your methods. Tell us how this consensus was generated and who was involved.
1: Right. Uh, the consensus on consensus in the Asia-Pacific region focus on two main areas, namely refractory reflux disease, and Barrett's esophagus. In the first GERD consensus way back in 2004, we highlighted that GERD is becoming more prevalent with the decline of H. pylori-related upper GI disease. Hence, the uh, the concepts of uh, investigations and management were greatly influenced by the West initially. But uh, as we gather more local information, we developed a management and investigation scheme, which are better suitable, suited for the region. The working group actually uh, consists of three clinicians appointed by the Asia-Pacific Association of Gastroenterology. And the fa- faculty members, it, w- it was a very interesting list. It comprises endoscopists, gastroenterologists with interest in epidemiology of good clinicians with interest in GI motility disorders, as well as clinicians interested in GERD in general. The steering Committee identified the current issues in GERD that needed to be addressed, and the working group then conducted extensive literature search to formulate statements with supporting evidence. The focus was on Asian data, but where the data was lacking, Western data were extrapolated use in the Asia Pacific context. Using email discussion, each working group actually reached consensus of, on the statements, which were then presented at a two-day meeting in Singapore. Uh, in this uh, consensus, we used a grade criteria for grading recommendations and also uh, evaluating the evidence.
0: So your paper is split into discrete sections and highlights questions that were particularly important to this review. So let's talk through each of these in turn and work through the key aspects of the statement. So firstly, tell us about the burden of reflux and Barrett's esophagus in the Asia-Pacific region and the changing epidemiology over time.
1: Well, the epidemiological data from the region show that's a good, including Barrett's esophagus, despite uh, regional differences, remained significantly lower than in the West in 2014. Now, the severity of uh, GERD remains mild with the majority of patients with NERD at 78 to 93 percent. And in patients with erosive reflux disease, grade uh, A esophageitis actually contributed 50 to 90 percent of the reflux disease. The national health statistics from Korea shows only a modest increase in GERD from 4.5% in 2005 to 7.27% in 2009. Questionnaire-based data from China showed that symptomatic GERD was 3.1% and there was some variation between the rural and urban population, although we are not certain of uh, the reason. Barrett's uh, esophagus remains an uncommon diagnosis in Asia with the exception of Japan and India and uh, was reported to be in a region of 0.06 to 6.2 percent. The group did find that after excluding ultra-short Barrett's esophagus, the prevalence of Barrett's esophagus in Japan was similar to the rest of Asia. As for India, Regional differences and ethnicity could be risk factors for the development of Barrett's esophagus.
0: So let's move on to refractory GERD. And what definition do you propose, and what investigations are suggested for these patients?
1: Now, the definition of refractory GERD in Asia, actually, prior to the publication of this uh, consensus, was a variable. It ranges from four weeks to uh, six months. With some persu- persuasion, we managed to persuade um, most of the countries to accept that uh, the symptoms should be persistent and troublesome, unresponsive to at least eight weeks of a standard dose of PPI. In uh, some countries, uh, this may not be possible based on the reimbursement uh, criteria. After four weeks of a PPI, then, uh, investigations need to uh, begin. Now, this uh, definition is aligned with the definition in the West. Uh, we add that uh, it is uh, good symptoms and not good that is not responding to PPI. And uh, this is an important concept, and we want to emphasize this for primary care doctors, that a group of patients that they should be referring for further investigations should have the symptoms and um, that they should not continue to persist with merely prescribing more medication. Now the investigations that uh, we propose are actually uh, fairly uh, uh, simply uh, uh, summarized into one, upper GI endoscopy with or without enhanced imaging capabilities. Two, uh, functional testing which is uh, 24-hour pH monitoring and in places that have afford afforded impedance and pH study. And thirdly, esophageal manometry. Now, in areas where uh, items 2 and 3 are not available, or the patient prefers not to have so many investigations after upper GI endoscopy, switching to another PPI or doubling the dose of PPI can be used in, instead, and this is a very practical consideration.
0: So what management strategies do you suggest to treat PPI refractory GERD symptoms?
1: Uh, The management strategy for treatment of PPI refractory GERD symptoms involves the following. First, switching PPI or doubling the dose of PPI. There's evidence that this approach works in about 20% of patients in the West. In addition, in Asia, we tend to add on other medication. And the prokinetics in uh, conjunction with PPI are permitted in Asia, although their effect is uh, modest. Uh, addition of uh, H2 blockers to PPI in a subset of patients actually uh, produce uh, improvement in terms of symptom relief. And uh, this is something that is also done in the West. But uh, their use should be uh, intermittent because uh, prolonged therapy actually lead to less effectiveness of the medicine due to tachyphylaxis, And uh, we also support the use of uh, sodium alginate after meals. This is important. Most pharmacists would tell patients uh, to take it before meals. But we believe that within one hour after meal it resolves heartburn in some patients with non-erosive reflux disease. Um, Cloven, although it's useful in some patients, is uh, very limited, uh, has limited use in Asia because of a side effect. And uh, the final point is uh, important. Surgical treatment should not be offered to patients unless the reflux is proven by investigations.
0: So let's move on now to consider Barrett's esophagus, and we touched on this briefly earlier, but can you firstly outline the statement on epidemiology and diagnostic criteria?
1: So the diagnosis of Barrett's esophagus is the replacement of uh, the distal squamous epithelium by columnar epithelium, and uh, that needs to be visible at endoscopy. And the important point is it should be confirmed by histology. Now, this definition is common to, uh, to many other uh, guidelines, the American, UK, and Australian guidelines. And uh, the previous uh, Asian consensus also uh, subscribed to this uh, definition. Now, the Japanese introduced the term ultra short barrett's esophagus, where the length of uh, the barrett's esophagus is less than 1 cm. Now, in many uh, situations and in many uh, countries, this uh, can be difficult, and uh, it can lead to inter-observer reliability. Now, the controversial part is that uh, in American guidelines, the presence of intestinal metaplasia is uh, required. However, it is not required in the British, Japanese, and Australian guidelines. Uh, Recently, the Australian guidelines also required the inclusion of intestinal metaplasia. Now, in the current consensus, the faculty actually studied this uh, problem and found that uh, to make a diagnosis of intestinal metaplasia with 100% yield and confidence, 16 biopsies are needed. With four biopsies, the yield would be only 34%. And with 8 biopsies, the yield would rise to 67.9%. So based on this practical consideration, we felt that uh, it would be very difficult to do a big number of biopsies just to prove Barrett's. And uh, if we do less biopsies, then uh, the diagnostic yield would be fairly low. Furthermore, two retrospective studies have suggested that non-goblet cell columnar metaplasia has the same or, uh, or somewhat similar malignant potential as columnar metaplasia with IM. So based on these considerations, we, we now have uh, uh, shifted our position from requiring IM on histopathology to not requiring IM on histopath examination.
0: So what are the risks of progression from Barrett's esophagus to esophageal adenocarcinoma in the Asia-Pacific population?
1: Uh, yes, uh, this is uh, something that also has uh, occupied our attention for some time. What uh, we uh, noted is that uh, there is accumulating evidence that the risk of esophageal adenocarcinoma, OAC, uh, actually increases with the length of Barrett's esophagus. Now as most of the Barrett's esophagus found in Asia are the short segment type, the risk of uh, esophageal adenocarcinoma is much lower than in the West. And uh, this has been confirmed uh, when we asked uh, our colleagues in various uh, cancer centres in the countries uh, the endoscopists find a lot more uh, squamous uh, carcinoma of the esophagus and hardly had any work to do with uh, esophageal adenocarcinoma. So that is why we feel that the risk of progression to uh, esophageal adenocarcinoma from Barrett's in Asia-Pacific is, is a very low-risk uh, area.
0: Okay, so can you now tell us your consensus opinion on screening and chemo prevention in patients diagnosed with Barrett's esophagus?
1: So, we have very limited uh, data on chemo prevention of Barrett's esophagus, uh, primarily because uh, the number of Barrett's esophagus that uh, come to uh, our attention is limited. But uh, quoting a meta-analysis of uh, the Western population, the revealed that PPI use was associated with a 71% reduction in esophageal adenocarcinoma or high-grade dysplasia. However, uh, more recently, there was a case-control study in Denmark that showed uh, PPI was associated with increased risk of uh, high-grade dysplasia or esophageal adenocarcinoma. COX-2 inhibitor was found in a meta-analysis with a reduced risk of esophageal adenocarcinoma or high-grade dysplasia among patients with Barrett's esophagus. Now we're waiting for the result of our SEC-7 trial, which is the largest multi-center uh, uh, RCT that examined the effect of PPI and aspirin for chemo prevention.
0: Were there any areas in the consensus that required particular consideration to the population characteristics?
1: Uh, One statement that did not reach uh, 70% uh, consensus as was required was uh, this statement that decline in H. pylori infection is unlikely to have a major role in the increase in the prevalence of GERD. The faculty agreed agreed that there was an inverse association between H. pylori prevalence and reflux disease prevalence. This decline in the H. pylori prevalence is related to improved living condition, improved sanitation in the region. The treatment of Helicobacter pylori has further led to a decline of uh, H. pylori infection in the community. There were four meta-analyses that have been performed to date, and uh, three have failed to show an association between H. pylori therapy and de novo development of GERD or GERD symptoms. The most recent meta analysis have shown that uh, eradication of H. pylori could be a major factor for de novo endoscopic GERD in Asia. Uh, this point is uh, different from what has been found in the west and uh, furthermore we noted that there was a longitudinal study of H. pylori therapy for primary prevention of gastric cancer in Asia and that showed that the annual incidence of esophagitis following successful H. pylori eradication was around six percent and another study in uh, Japan a 10-year follow-up after eradication therapy, uh, uh, the author Hamada found that established esophagitis was found only in 4.4% of patients, although transient esophagitis was found in 40% of patients in uh, around 6 months. Now, Therefore, taking these studies together, it would suggest that uh, helicobacter pylori therapy can lead to esophagitis in a small group of patients, although the mechanism has yet to be established.
0: Okay, so how how should patients with Barrett's esophagus and dysplasia be treated?
1: Now, for patients with Barrett's esophagus and low-grade dysplasia, the uh, recommendation is to perform endoscopic resection if it is focal in nature. Radiofrequency ablation should be considered if uh, the lesion is non-focal. Some patients may, however, choose surveillance over such a procedure, in which case then uh, a repeat endoscopy should be performed within six months. For high-grade dysplasia, endoscopic resection is undoubtedly the treatment of choice. Uh, RFA is then used to ablate all Barrett's esophagus, to prevent development of metachronis cancer, surgical resection is another treatment option, although surgical treatment is a major procedure.
0: So, how should patients with Barrett's esophagus and no dysplasia be treated?
1: So, the faculty strongly recommends that a screening for Barrett's esophagus with no dysplasia is of no value in the Asia Pacific region. And this is because the impact of screening depends on the disease prevalence of Barrett and the cancer risk from Barrett. In uh, Asia, where both uh, prevalence and uh, risk are low, the benefit of a screening is uh, very low.
0: So finally, what are the key areas requiring research focus to help guide future management?
1: Well, um, at this point... um, I can think of at least uh, two or three areas that are really important enough for future research focus. I think the question of H. Uh, pylori therapy and uh, esophagitis, the development of esoph- esophagitis thereafter is an important research area. As uh, we have indicated earlier, the, the there seems to be some uh, fairly robust evidence that uh, it is possible for a patient to develop esophagitis following H. pylori therapy. The mechanism is unknown. From the Matsu study, what we have noticed is that uh, patients who develop uh, good following H. pylori eradication therapy actually tend to be overweight to gain weight as well and uh, tend to be, have developed metabolic uh, syndrome. Now, whether this is uh, due to the fact that following uh, H. pylori eradication therapy, the patient actually feels better, is now no longer suffering from dyspepsia and hence his appetite is improving, or whether uh, with time, Some of these patients are the middle age group with time, they actually develop metabolic syndrome because they are already predisposed to this condition. So I think that is an area for future research and it is quite an important topic to be covered and perhaps discussed in future good consensus. The other area that we haven't actually touched on is that uh, we have also uh, put up some ideas on uh, functional heartburn. It appears to the faculty member, and that includes uh, gastroenterologists who are interested in the motility study. It would appear that uh, a patient who has no evidence of reflux, no evidence of uh, um, any motility uh, disorders that require treatment such as achalasia and uh, with normal impedance and PH study such a person would be actually be classified as functional heartburn and uh, it would uh, be an area that we need to actually uh, look at and one important aspect is to study the psychological profile of uh, this group of patients and to see whether this is truly functional or whether there is still as yet some uh, uh, pathology that we haven't fully considered. Whether this uh, pathology is as uh, functional as in uh, local function or whether this is, there is uh, some degree of uh, inflammation that uh, we have not uh, actually found out. Know it's low-grade uh, inflammation. So, uh, in my uh, uh, humble opinion, at this point, these two areas look like uh, uh, there is still a lot of scope for us to investigate and research further.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank Professor Falk for joining me today. Thank you very much.